0: This is an RNZ podcast.
1: Here at MediaWatch, we look at local media companies and the decisions they make. That's one of the things the programme was set up to do 20 years ago when it got underway on what was then national radio. But back then, one journalist was already doing that as part of his own commitment to his craft, and he has been ever since. For the past 20 years, Simon Collins has been not only a senior reporter for the New Zealand Herald but also a campaigner for journalism itself in a career that covered 42 years. Now that commitment saw him hit the headlines once, leading an on-stage protest at the Qantas Awards ceremony over his own employers' plans to outsource sub-editing and cut other jobs. We can't in all conscience celebrate excellence in journalism while our employers are undermining excellence in future with editorial cuts and contracting out, he told The Gathering but attention-grabbing stunts were not Simon Collins' usual M.O. He also diligently documented the changes in New Zealand journalism behind the scenes because he feared the quality of it was being compromised by decisions being made in boardrooms and the wider commercial forces at work on the media. Back in 2009, Simon Collins wrote a report about the effects of all that for the journalist union, and MediaWatch asked him at the time, don't journalists have to adapt to change just like workers in any other industry?
0: Well, I suppose we are adapting to it. What we're saying here is that we can't stop the technological and commercial changes that that you've mentioned. Print media are gradually losing readership and revenue to the web. Ownership is now multinational and totally driven by profit in most cases, and therefore the space for... Public issue journalism is shrinking, but what we're saying is that it's very important not to lose sight of the importance of that. We shouldn't just write for the profit of our owners, we should also keep in mind that we have a public role to fulfil in a democracy and
1: keep our eye on that to the extent that we can. But Simon Collins' commitment to what he called public issues journalism was clear in his own work as well. For instance, he interviewed 600 people from Cape Ranga to Bluff in 2008 for a week-long Herald series about the mood of the nation. And it wasn't the first time. He also interviewed 600 different people before the 2005 election. Well, these days, that's an exercise that cash-strapped news media would be unlikely to pay for. But even if they did, few journalists would be able to take on such a huge job. And having just retired this week, aged 65, Simon Collins isn't available for the job anymore anyway. When news seeped out on social media last month that Simon Collins was leaving the Herald and journalism, after all that work over all those years, it triggered a stream of tributes and expressions of sorrow. We Won't See His Like Again was the common theme. But in his time, Simon Collins has had a ringside seat as change in the media and in journalism has accelerated in the digital era. And as Simon Collins reached the end of his own career in journalism, I asked him
0: this week about the good, the bad, and the state of it right now. Technology has changed. The the, the fact that uh, everything is now read online, um, um, obviously it's had a a financial impact, so it's taken the advertising away because we don't have the print newspaper full of ads that used to pay for news. But it has also changed the way we select and write and cover news. For for a start, it's made it instant because we we used to, when we were writing for a newspaper, you had the whole day to prepare a, a balanced and comprehensive and, and a story in which you checked all the facts and got all sides of the story represented. Uh, these days we're trying to beat stuff or your soul's radio in New Zealand by getting things out instantly online. That basically doesn't allow time to do anything except put the press release straight up. Later you can go back and change it and you can check and do a more balanced version, but your readers have moved on to something else, so actually all they're getting in most cases now is a press release. Or if there's some developing event like a tsunami the other day, you'll get you'll get all these stories updated all the time about what's the latest. Obviously there are are great advantages in knowing about a tsunami straight away for example, so nothing nothing wrong, we can't avoid that, but it has changed the nature of journalism a lot. Secondly, because news editors and so on can now measure exactly how many people are reading every story online, that has made a huge difference so if a story gets a lot of hits, a lot of clicks, the editors will be looking for a follow-up straight away whereas if something might be a very important story um, is not being read, um, it'll Die. They won't want any more about it. They won't give you time to do your balanced version of the original press release, for example, um, if it's not getting the hits. That, that's made a big difference. Um, and the third thing I think that's made a difference to the journalism is that in order to get those hits, we are encouraged to take a line, take a position. They're expressing an opinion about a story rather than just reporting the news. And I, I think that's a slippery slope which we need to be careful of because it, sharing opinions is very important, but a great thing. But it needs to be shared on the basis of agreed facts in the first place and and our role as journalists is to present the agreed facts. and if we don't do that carefully in a balanced way, then society is the poor. Th- those are three things that have changed for the bad. Um, but you know the the broader context is that the internet has opened up an ability for everybody in the world to have a say on anything they like, and that that's a huge benefit. So you know there are pros and cons we, I, I think we have to manage the bads <laughs> while welcoming the goods. Indeed, actually, for that Journalism Matters
1: conference back in two thousand and seven, you wrote a paper about the technological and commercial pressures on journalism at the time, um, and you you made that point that actually things were, a lot of things were better than when you started out in nineteen seventy six at the Evening Post in Wellington. Uh, less deference to authority, uh, more coverage outside of a, a white male elite and what they were up to, more powerful reporting of human tragedies. And you picked a, a couple of examples, Nia Glassy, who was a, a child uh, who died in horrible circumstances, and uh, Folole uh, Mulianga, who was a woman who lost her life after power was cut off to her um, medical equipment. And that those were stories that really had an impact. And you also say, um, while well, you mentioned there there's a lot more opinion these days in taking a line, that publishing comment and opinion... Um, is a, is a good thing, in a sense, and was something that wasn't happening to push things along, you know, back in, say, the mid-'70s. Uh,
0: yes, that's right. I, so I'm, I'm, I do think it's great that we have a lot of comment about, about everything. Um, I'm just saying that it's not good that it's um, built into the original story about the news. <laughs> we we should be able to see the facts before we separately comment about them. That's, that's all I'm saying. Indeed. And you mentioned there that, of
1: course, news editors can now see almost immediately which stories uh, are getting a digital audience and what's resonating with people then. So we tend to get more of that, follow-ups on that. You also wrote about that back in in 2007. Mm -hmm. Um, You're saying that uh, journalists who covered rounds like industrial relations, energy, foreign affairs, defence, there were sometimes no reporters at all, even at a big paper like The Herald, covering those issues. Um, And the ones that did have a, a round like health and education, were regularly diverted to stories about, say, Dancing with the Stars, or even at the time, Paul Holmes' daughter, who used to be the subject of a lot of uh, much-clicked-upon and read stories. Does that put the onus on us, on the audience, that maybe we get the news we deserve?
0: Yes, the public and journalists need to be aware of what's happening. I think it's important that we learn to distinguish, as, as consumers of news, the news that is worth reading in the news that is just generated to get more hits. So we should recognise when we're being exploited by a news media organisation. So, yes, the consumers, I think, do have a role in it. And then I think also that the media organisations need to be aware of their social impact as well as their commercial objectives. I mean, that NZME is there as a company to make money, has to make money for its shareholders listed on the share market. But the, the product that we produce has a social effect.
1: Well, you worked pretty hard to make sure that um, both other journalists and the public as well were aware of the effects that um, year-on-year cuts to news operations were having, uh, the shrinking uh, levels of newsrooms and so on and their ability to cover important public issues. Um, But you also showed that that effect wasn't even. For example, um, you did some analysis of uh, reporting numbers as well as the output, the content in the New Zealand Herald. And one conclusion I think that you came up with was that Coverage of politics and you know the staffing of the Parliamentary Press Gallery clearly remained a, a priority, but it was the other reporters covering those issues we mentioned earlier, maybe industrial affairs, defence, things like that, that were in decline. Are we still perhaps super-served with our coverage of, of politics and particularly party politics coming out of Wellington and not those other public issues that are important?
0: Uh, well, I wouldn't object to covering politics. I think that's very important. Um, what I was complaining about was the loss of coverage of those other things. And I still do think that is a risk. Uh, I mean, it is what's what's happened, what has happened over the last couple of decades. We we have less specialism in in, in our journalism. So uh, there's a lot more coverage of what comes out of social media. We have people at the Herald and me, um, staff probably Radio New Zealand have the same um, people whose job is just to monitor social media and find interesting stories from what people are posting. And and that's in some ways a great thing because that's a democratisation of origins of news. Society has to have facts about what's going on in society uh, in order to become aware of the things that need to be fixed or improved. Um, Part of the role of a news media organisation needs to be to have those rounds people just specifically looking at what's happening in that field. Well, in uh, 2017, 10 years
1: on from that Journalism Matters conference, there was a follow-up, Journalism Still Matters, and that was really interesting because it discussed, you know, some of the things you'd highlighted 10 years earlier. And one uh, moment in that that sticks in my mind was the New Zealand Herald's editor, Shane Curry, uh, saying pretty bluntly, the news media, not just the Herald's publisher, but broadly the whole media, had made a mistake giving its news away for free online for so long. I mean, our Major most viewed website stuff still does that. Do you think it was something you know, your employers at the Herald should have done and the rest of the media too a long time ago and people would have got the message news is important and you have to pay for it?
0: Uh, yes, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, we've got to get revenue from somewhere. We've lost that advertising revenue. Uh, we either get it from premium subscriptions, which is what the Herald's doing, or donations, which is what stuff's doing, or from Google, which is, or Facebook, which is what's now starting to happen because of the measures that Australia has taken. So it's, it's got to come from somewhere. We can't make news out of thin air. That's true.
1: And another trend in recent years at media companies is what we might call non-news interests have become a bigger deal to them. If we take one example, the MediaWorks company is now effectively a kind of joint venture which has an Australian billboard company, QMS, um, as a major shareholder. Um, so news isn't necessarily at the, at the core of that. Uh, Your employers, NZME, publisher of the New Zealand Herald. They have music radio stations, which are perhaps making them more money, um, and also their own advertising real estate businesses. Do you think that news operations will continue to become kind of less important to these companies at some point in the future that they might just make a decision, actually, let's just get out of this news journalism business altogether and just do
0: other media and commercial stuff? NZME, I think uh, the other things that it does are Peripheral, I think the news is still the core of what it does um, because the, the Herald is still its main uh, source of revenue and News Talk ZB, the news stations, uh, are still the main uh, radio earners. So NZME depends on making news work financially, so I don't see them pulling out. If they did pull out, somebody else would step in. So, you know, I'm not concerned about losing news. We have to keep thinking about how we're going to fund it. And, of course, the biggest
1: uh, publisher of news in the country and probably the only truly national one is uh, Stuff and its newspapers that that cover North and South Island. Uh, You know, we now know that its offshore owners in uh, Channel 9 and Sydney were preparing to close it down um, in the middle of the COVID, but for the intervention of and the management buyout of its current chief executive, now its owner, Sinead Boucher. Um, I wonder what you make of that. Are you pretty happy that... All these newspapers, these journalism jobs uh, are now under the local ownership, um, or do you p- perhaps find it a bit alarming that literally one person <laughs> by spending one dollar becomes the owner of you know more than half of the country 's newspapers
0: <laughs> I think it 's a fantastic thing i think i 'm really excited about um, what stuff 's done since that buyout. Um, you know, I gather that they are looking to move the ownership into some kind of trust for the for the journalists or the workers which is um, what I believe in. I think they don't have to make a huge profit to satisfy shareholders anymore. So I think it's a wonderful thing.
1: And another more recent trend, uh, taxpayers' money now increasingly flowing into journalism, which I suppose gives the public a stake. I mean, traditionally it's only been public broadcasters like RNZ or Māori Television more recently. Um, But... Uh, the Public Journalism Funding Initiative, $55 million in the next three years. Uh, this means some outlets that have never had public money uh, coming into them before former newspaper publishers, for example, will have. Do you think, in the end, this is a, a good
0: thing? Uh, yes, again, I do. I think um, I think that is the answer, <laughs> um, part of the answer. I, I, I don't think we should go too far with it because I think there are other priorities in the public purse, but um, it is going to make sure that we fund... We fund important news and that that important news is produced which might not be tr- produced otherwise. Um, and I, I think it's uh, in, a, in a democratic society, you do want diverse sources of that news, so you don't want it just coming from state broadcasters, for example. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with state broadcasters, but you want a diversity of opinion. We don't want a diversity of... Uh, judgments being made in the media. So uh, I think that's a good thing.
1: And another perhaps more regrettable recent trend, um, you know, what some people call the culture wars, you know, and the media right in amongst it, there's a kind of changing, increasingly polarised political environment, perhaps less so here than some places overseas. However, a lot of people seem to be more vocal, more antagonistic to the media. Um, they believe they're either you know biased, left-leaning or woke or perhaps... <laughs> you know, against free speech, forces of uh, kind of conservatism. Um, I I wonder, maybe you feel with your long history that this is nothing new. You've seen people argue about this sort of thing before, uh, biases and and political influences on the media. But do you think this is something we need to be concerned about, a sort of public um, lack of trust in the media and and that somehow, you know, political influences on people are are fueling scepticism
0: that isn't really healthy? I think we should be building a caring community together. That's that should be the role of a of the Herald or the a media organisation at the moment. Uh, I think that needs to include all parts of the community. So we shouldn't be excluding racists or um, any other people whose views we disagree with from taking part in the debate that we offer a platform for. The, the role of the media is to build the c- caring community by giving everybody a sense of being part of that community, that they can take part in the debate that from any point of view. We should listen to them all, care for them all, and, and rather than shutting them out and say, condemning them and saying, um, you know, you're beyond the pale, we don't want to hear from you. Um, our role is to empower everybody to talk to each other. I believe that that process uh, is the way to build a caring community where we care for everybody. I mean social media people blame social media a lot and we we you know we have these movements to um Facebook shutting people out of uh, and Twitter and so on shutting Trump out of their uh, feeds I don't like that I think we should be encouraging everybody to be able to talk to everybody else looking
1: back the journalism matters conference in 2007 it was a fascinating event um which you had a hand in and um the the uh, rundown for it says that you started a weekly rag for the district you grew up in in South Taranaki at the age of nine. I'm wondering
0: what sort of publication
1: that could have been.
0: Uh, that's right. Well, I, I've been keen on journalism for a long time. <laughs> so it started off as one copy of a um, newspaper that I did for my parents, and, and it grew from there during my school time. Uh, so it started off just handwritten, then it became typewritten and Copied on a school gazetteer, uh, which the, the initially the primary school and then the secondary school were happy to help me do. Uh, so they, they you know, parents and and teachers encouraged it. It was a it was a um, seen as a good educational exercise. <laughs> uh, and by the end of it, it was up to a circulation of about fifty that was distributed to people on the school bus and things like that. So it was <laughs> it was a, um, a newspaper about. Uh, what was going on in, in the little rural place where I grew up, uh, in the Parter district in South Tananaki.
1: And was it lifting the lid on local in-school controversies? Yes, that was the idea of it. <laughs> <laughs> and were you hitting your deadlines at the age of nine? Uh, uh, must have been. <laughs> I can't remember the deadlines, to be honest.
0: <laughs> well, look, pe- but yes, there were. We've people been, know yeah. you
1: now, Simon, from your long history with the New Zealand Herald, um, more than 20 years, I think, um, at that particular paper but before that you ran the independent and helped to found the independent wellington newspaper city voice with um actually a f- my former colleague here at MediaWatch, jeremy rose that was back in the 1990s uh why did you start up a, a, an independent paper because back then you would have had both the dominion post and uh, the evening post daily uh, in wellington must have been a tough job to start something new
0: uh, well, we were, we were completely different. We weren't really in the same market as the dailies. We, we were a free weekly, as you said, uh, distributed to households in the uh, inner-city suburbs, so um, Karori to Hataitai. Um, and uh, we, the idea of it was to empower and give a voice to ordinary people. That was the name of the paper, City Voice. Uh, I'd come from working in the press gallery for the Herald um, where I felt I was reporting on what politicians were saying all the time and what other elite people were saying, uh, and I wanted to be part of this group that was trying to give a voice to ordinary people, and, and the idea was that could, we were always run on a shoestring, it was, was written by, mostly by volunteers, so it was, we were trying to encourage um, all parts of the community in Wellington to uh, contribute their own uh, news about what they were doing in their communities, so different ethnic communities and so on, um, and, and to give their views on what was happening in, in the wider world.
1: And is it true, there's a couple of stories I've heard about City Voice Days. One was that at one point you had so much content, uh, you, rather than cut it, made the paper's font size smaller so you could fit more on the pages. <laughs> and the second, that when it started to struggle a little bit, you actually helped out by not only you know editing and writing it, um, you
0: went out and delivered it yourself? <laughs> uh, I don't know where these stories come from, Colin, actually. I don't remember the font size one, to be honest. I don't think that's true, but it might be. Um, the delivery one isn't quite true. I mean, we we paid people to deliver the paper um, when we, f- we... We did... Um, I did used to go around and make sure that... Because we had um, stands around the town uh, where you could pick it up free if you didn't get it at home. And we did used to make, make sure that those were kept stocked up and things like that. So uh, we, we, we were a small team and we did everything, but uh, we did pay people to deliver it. <laughs> didn't do it ourselves.
1: Well, finally, Simon, uh, after, I think, 42 years in journalism, if we don't take it all the way back to the newspaper you began uh, as a nine-year-old to be distributed on the (laughs) school bus, uh, and uh, the 20 past years at at the New Zealand Herald, and that's only one of your stints um, at the Herald, I mean, are you leaving now with a sense of relief or regret? I mean, do you you presumably you're going to miss parts of the job that you've done for, you know, more than four decades. (laughs)
0: <laughs> we'll see. Ask me in a year's time. <laughs> but no, I'm looking forward to it because um, I've um, I have been feeling increasingly uneasy with the way the industry that I'm in has been driven by hits and and dollars in the last couple or well, last few years. Um, and so I'm I'm wanting to get out and do something completely different. So I'm, I'm going to become a budget advisor for St Vincent de Paul, and hopefully be. Um, I hope I can learn how to do that and do it properly. Help people um, in a more direct way than I have been. so um, no I don't want to do go back. <laughs> I hope I'll enjoy doing something else completely I've got I've done one thing for a long time, high time to do something else. So no journalism at all, no blog, no social media
1: account <laughs> I'm not planning to do anything no. Indeed, I will ask you in a year, see if, if, if you can really <laughs> stick to that. And uh, we see also see, um, just this morning as we're speaking, um, photographs of you on Twitter uh, holding up um, proudly a um, Rod Emerson caricature. Uh, so not everyone who gets gets
0: one of those, is that something you'll treasure? Uh, absolutely, yes. No, it's a wonderful cartoon uh, sketch. And uh, yes, yeah, so it'll get pride of place in our house. <laughs> thank, thank you, Rod.
1: Just really finally... Um, one of the things when the news came out that you were leaving in about a month or so, um, journalists, as they do now, took to Twitter and uh, the, the the basic theme of uh, their responses was that we won't see his like again, someone who spends as much time and as dedicated as as you have been and as dedicated to the craft of journalism?
0: <laughs> no, of course I don't think that. <laughs> cut that one out. <laughs> yes, I mean, uh, there, there are wonderful people in journalism. It, it, it burns some out. It's burned me out in the end, but many people will find their way into it and and contribute to uh, keeping us an informed and caring society. That was Simon
1: Collins, the education reporter at the New Zealand Herald, until last week when he retired after 42 years in journalism, during which time he filled several other roles at the Herald and other newspapers and even helped to start and edit City Voice, a weekly newspaper for Wellington back in the 1990s run as a cooperative by its staff. Now, as Simon mentioned there, he's now going back to work as a budget advisor for the St Vincent de Paul Society. Another way, he says, to create a more caring community as he sought to do in all those years in journalism as well.